Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. This is Duffy Dixon with Business Radio X. Thanks for joining us. With me is Ben Sawyer, the CEO of Soar Vision Group. He has more than 30 years of executive leadership experience and a strong record of accomplishment. He has significant guided strategy deployment experience, and he's worked with a lot of companies, achieving dramatic, sustainable operational performance and huge outcomes. Joining us now for this week is also Lisa Council. She is the Vice President of Verge Health. This is really a follow-up to our other show we did. We had Dr. Mark Crockett, who is the CEO of Verge Health. Lisa is not only the VP, but also you are a registered nurse. You worked on the front lines, critical care. Um, This we call is, is a deep dive. So we talked about Verge Health. We talked about everything changing maybe slower than some would like but 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 changes coming for healthcare as far you know as management and getting systems in place it's really exciting things that are happening um, you know, this is the deep dive, so we go into a little more detail of what we talked about. Ben? Yeah, so um, there were a number of themes that came out in last week's show with Dr. Crockett, which, by the way, was really well done. Um, so, Lisa, please give us or give him our kudos because I, I thought he did a really Absolutely. great job. Um, one of the things we that permeated it was this notion of effective leadership and persistent uh, curiosity, which interestingly enough permeates the visual Baldridge organizational hierarchy of needs. So let's start with that in terms of summarizing a couple of the key points from last week about what leadership really, good leadership really looks like. What are some of your your thoughts on that reflecting just from last week? Well, again, from the healthcare space, uh, which is 100% of what Verge Health does, um, we are, you know, we see a variety of, uh, of different leader styles. Um, the leaders who are most engaged and who are aware and who are participating actively on daily rounds or weekly rounds. I mean, some leaders are doing monthly rounds kind of disconnected, a little too easy to be disconnected. Um, so, you know, again, we have we have kind of the early adopters and we have the laggards and then everyone in between. Um, organizations in healthcare are making a much greater uh, intent on being engaged and being um, part of the organization instead of just kind of sitting in the ivory tower. Um, and we're seeing that with their participation and utilizing our rounding tools, utilizing our scorecard methodology. Um, so it's getting better. But again, we need the percentages of those leaders inside of healthcare to increase. Um, but again, the, the transformation is, is slowly coming along. Right. And it's being led by those leaders that are willing to take that ownership. Sure. The, the risky ones, and, and again, last week in our session, I mentioned that we are seeing uh, an influx of leadership coming from outside of healthcare. So that's making a big change in the dynamics of how organizations are functioning because it's no longer how we've always done it or, oh, it'll never, it'll, it'll never change. Instead, they're being innovative and really thinking outside of the box. Let's invite our listeners because we're going, as the, with this deep dive, we're going to go to that hierarchy of needs. And so if you can go to our webpage, it's leaderdialogue.com. 
you get on there, the first thing you're going to see is this hierarchy of needs. And this sort of leads you through exactly what we're talking about. Ben, you said in leadership, there are two failure points. Two things can go wrong. I, I imagine lots of things can go wrong, but two key ones. Yeah, so there there are two failure modes in strategy execution in particular. Okay. So to underscore what Lisa was talking about, what she was really describing is a servant leader. And let me just explain a minute what I mean by that because it's it's very relevant to the failure modes. So a servant leader views their organization as an inverted pyramid. And the customer, the patient, is at the top. And therefore, first do no harm and make sure that the patient gets precisely what they need consistently, etc., is what they are there to serve and support. They therefore recognize that the people on the front line are the most important assets because that's where, that's where reality happens. And, and, and supporting those frontline people are frontline supervisors and managers, which means they need to be aligned around what we call the three Ps, right? Do people have what they need? Are the processes uh, efficient? And are priorities aligned? And that comes all the way back down to the CEO um, so that the CEO is providing the direction and supporting the organization in the priorities that are, are required. And one of the things that we talked about last week is in complex organization, there's a lot of pressure to take on a lot of different things. It's very, very complicated. So part of the leadership requirement of the senior leaders is to say no and what to say yes to. So let's get to the failure mode question, and we'll, and we'll take that strand a little bit. So in strategy execution, there are two failure modes. One is decision rights management. And the other is information flow. Okay. And this comes from uh, the research of Donald Hull and Rebecca Hompkins. Donald Hull out of MIT, Rebecca Hompkins out of the London School of Economics. Incredible longitudinal study they did. And they talk about the five myths of strategy execution. And, and the, these failure modes come out. So basically what happens is a organization determines a strategy and they have some level of cascading scorecard. Let's say it's an MBO or balanced scorecard. And then people in the department start trying to do something and they find that their colleagues don't necessarily want to collaborate with them, i.e. we're not managing decision rights. <laughs> and so after they've done that for a while and got frustrated, they just pull back and the silo now becomes a bunker. And you end up getting very poor performance. And that's a leadership problem because the organization to work effectively has to collaborate well across, and that means you have to be able to manage the collaboration, be clear about what's a priority and so forth. The second problem is information flow. So any organization in a highly complicated, you know, high uh, frenetic environment has to be able to be agile. And agility is all based on being able to understand the changes in the market. Just th think of, for example, sports. You're changing on on a, on a dime based upon where the ball is at or the puck or whatever the case may be. Help, you know, organizational management, healthcare in particular, is no different. So you have to be able to manage and adjust very quickly. And as we've talked about in a previous show, the problem is it's kind of like the analogy of driving a car. 
if you spend a lot of time looking in the rearview mirror, you're probably going to get into an accident. <laughs> and there's a reason the rearview mirror is small and the wind, <laughs> the windshield is big because that's where you're actually supposed to be spending your I'll time. Remind my, remind my 15 year old who has just got her learner's permit. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, but if you if and and Lisa, please comment on this. But if you know, both of us have been in healthcare a long time. Almost all the information we have is retrospective. It's rear view mirror. It's kind of like using the car analogy. I got an email as to how fast I was going this morning, tomorrow. Like, well, that helped a lot, right? So that's those are the two failure modes. Okay. Decision rights and information flow and being able to manage those things effectively in real time. Yeah, and, and for Verge, that really is kind of what we bring to the table from the quality, compliance, and risk perspective. So, um, again, kind of the nuance that we bring to our customers is that we really provide real-time data communication across what has traditionally been very siloed organizations. So, as an example, compliance and regulatory team, they do their, their things kind of on their own. Um, the event management and patient relations group, they kind of do their things on, the, on their own. And then, heaven forbid, what what peer review and credentialing does downstream because you really need to connect the dots. So with Verge, we bring that all as, as a single platform. So real-time communication happens if an event happens, a slip and fall as an example in a, in a hospital. The slip and fall happens. I can immediately notify my patient relations department. I can immediately notify my legal team. I can notify my claims department in case they need to have some financial um, preparedness. I can notify my peer review if there was a, a clinician involved with that particular event. And again, normally that happens two or three weeks later that somebody gets notified, um, much less kind of an immediate notification if they need to make some sort of change or communication to the patient and family immediately. So let's connect the dots on what you just described, which was a wonderful example to decision rights and information flow. Okay, so information flow is pretty obvious. Your system is providing immediate awareness as to what's going on. Decision rights is what do you do as a standard operating procedure if you get that piece of information, and who do you talk to, which is role clarification. That's decision rights. And even when organizations, correct me if I'm wrong, put in the system, if they don't have that down, they can also fail. Is that Fair? Absolutely, absolutely. So we actually embed a workflow engine inside of our system to help really kind of uh, transmit that information and then have escalators if, for example, someone doesn't do their part. Um, so if someone doesn't respond, then it gets notified back to them after a period of time and even can be escalated to their leadership team. So again, we've taken a little bit of the guesswork out by automating a, a, a workflow engine, but make no mistakes, if you don't have the rights set up correctly, and we do we do those changes as needed for a customer, um, but really having that, that ability to um, respond and be as as proactive as possible um, is what we're bringing to the to the client so that they no longer have that guesswork of what to do with it sometimes they ignore what the recommendation is of the system um, and we have gentle reminders uh, <laughs> to either have them do something different or the people around them do something different right so this ties to the myths so myth uh, one is that a strategy system by itself equals good performance 
Obviously, that's not the case because you have to be able to manage information flow and decision rights. Another myth is that strategy should be driven from the top. Now, the problem there goes into our deep dive discussion of the difference between authority and responsibility. And we've talked about this on other shows. So senior leaders have authority because they have positional power. But responsibility is shared with middle management and the front line, and it actually is an experiment. If you think about it, you are trying to accomplish something, but it's going to vary based on what you find, what the circumstances are, and how things change, and so on and so forth. So the truth of the matter is strategy is guided from the top, driven from the middle, and activated on the front line. Okay. And if an organization understands that and deploys it accordingly, they have a much higher probability of success. If they have, particularly young leadership, however, who are trying to prove themselves and think that they own both authority and responsibility, just do what they say, they will fail, not because of intent, but just because they don't understand that responsibility actually is an experiment shared with middle managers in the front line. And and as an example of that, during our best practice implementations, the area of responsibility conversation is the largest and most complex and should be the most well thought out conversation yes. uh, around, again, the responsibilities of escalation and who owns a problem, who owns the remedy of that problem. Um, so if organizations in, in our client base are doing it well, and our implementation teams from Verge are doing it well, that AOR is very well thought and very well mechanized. Now, again, there's room for modification and updates later, um, but it's not a place that we can uh, that we can shortchange the the time spent. That's exactly right. And what what we have learned is the biggest X factor of success in any engagement is leadership. There's all in every time there's a failure, there is always a root causal factor back to the leader. So there's a there's a book that was recently written written by a Navy uh, SEAL called Extreme Leadership. And um, in that book, he describes the one of the SEAL exercises where they're having to uh, navigate this boat back toward shore with different teams. And basically, boat one was always winning, and boat six was always losing. So all they did is swap the leaders of the boats, and boat six started winning, and one started losing. Isn't that it was it was all and and in the seal tradition, you own it. If you're a leader, you own it. Like there's there's no excuses. It's you can't put it off on your team like they weren't rowing hard enough or whatever the case may be. And that is a part of the mantle of leadership. And it's very easy to slough it off. Well, if this circumstance changed and that circumstance changed and you know the physicians were really being difficult or you know this circumstance happened or whatever and there's no pass at the end of the day you're at the bottom of the pyramid the customer's at the top and they either succeed or fail all the way through that chain based on your ability to support them that is you're just tapping into something that that works across all parts of life absolutely i mean when you're talking about human beings you can go to any job you've ever held in your life and look around you and sometimes many times it's you how many times have you heard that's not my job? Right. That wasn't my job. That wasn't I'm not I'm not supposed they did this. They did this. Right. Ownership is huge and it doesn't have to be a negative thing. My whole my whole thing in life has been everyone's going to make a mistake. 
the goal is don't keep making the same mistake. Right. Right? Let's not keep trying to reinvent the wheel. Let's not start from right. square one again. So, so no, ownership. So, yeah, so now that we've defined kind of what is the core, let's talk about some of the other symptoms. So one of the other symptoms that we talked about last week was what I call the peripheralization of improvement. Okay, this one, yes. I want I want you to unpack this. Right. So, Lisa, you described it initially, and maybe you can, for the listeners, kind of do that again, where the improvement people, like the Lean Six Sigma people and so forth, are running around taking care of stuff. So to describe that again for the listeners, and then we'll unpack this. Sure. Last week, uh, I, I kind of talked about performance improvement, which are really mission critical inside of healthcare, in my opinion. Um, but again, you know, they, they tend to get assigned to a task or a project. And, you know, we see improvement for a period of time. And then those people segue off and go to another project. And then we see degradation of that performance. And so we have kind of a peak and valley. Um, and even worse, we are notorious inside of healthcare for hiring really well-skilled um, consultants to come in and we pay them a lot of money and again we see this peak and valley set of activity because there's they're not transferring the knowledge to the people who are on the front lines to be able to do the same thing on a daily basis and in our world we call that being highly reliable um, so really being able to have some sort of structure in the verge world we bring together services and solutions um, that support governance, risk, and compliance for healthcare. And we have that trademarked because we believe very strong that we have the tools and the services and the people to be able to pull that off. Um, because again, we can't keep making these very expensive and high intense sets of activities only to see our results fade away pretty quickly. All right, so let's now clarify the symptoms. And and this is pretty easy for me because for most of my career I've been managing performance and process improvement in organizations. So here's kind of how it goes. A fire starts, right? And I'm speaking metaphorically. So somebody's got to solve that problem. So it's reactive, first of all. Mm -hmm. This may not have anything to do with the strategy. Most often it doesn't. It's a, it's a fire. It could be because of an error or whatever. So the people that are encountering that either can solve it or they can throw it over the fence to the performance improvement people. What do you think the most probable <laughs> response is? Throw it over the fence. There you go. <laughs> Human and nature. There Human we are nature. again. <laughs> so now that performance improvement team is reacting and they're trying to then put together some sort of structured approach to be able to address that problem. So let's just pause there a minute. What would have been a better outcome in terms of dealing with an urgent situation? Solve it there, then and there. There you go. And that means that everybody's job is continuous improvement. Therefore, it's everyone's responsibility. There you go. And therefore, where they don't have knowledge and they have a gap, you train them and give them the tools to be successful so that those resources that they need for for higher-end coaching can then prioritize their work to actually help where needed as opposed to being peripheralized to a bunch of urgent things that, again, may not deal with strategy. Okay, so that's one thing. The second thing is how often in organizations, Lisa, is a performance improvement initiative looked first at the alignment with the strategy before it's launched. <laughs> I wish I wish this was video. Very I just, I just rocked her face. 
Eyes rolling, head shaking. Yeah, Yeah, very uncommon that that happens. Now, we do have a few organizations, um, large organizations, Atrium Health. They're a a fabulous customer of ours. Um, There are organizations that actually do look at their burning platforms to kind of evaluate where do they throw manpower to to really um, put their performance improvement team. Um, Probably a pretty small percentage of healthcare organizations. So, by the way, that is the science of strategy deployment, what the Japanese call Hoshin Kanri, which means shine the compass. So the whole idea there is whenever you're going to do any improvement, you start with strategy first because that's where the core values of the organization are expressed, and they should therefore guide all activity, including performance improvement activity. When you put this in place, it is like injecting jet fuel into your performance improvement group because they are now empowered to meet the priorities and only do what is absolutely essential. And within the strategy deployment, all the frontline people are given the training and tools they need to actually improve it themselves when they encounter it and act like owners. So an example of that, again, organizations who will train their entire frontline staff to be a green belt Six Sigma, they are empowering that team to really take it upon themselves to fix something at the time of occurrence. And if they need to bring in other experts, then they you know, move up the food chain to the performance improvement team. Right. Again, that's a very small number of organizations in healthcare who do that. Right. So if I'm a senior leader and I'm frustrated with performance improvement, I need look no further than in the mirror. Yes. <laughs> because as the senior leader, I'm making the priority decisions and I'm the steward of the strategy and I need to make sure that people, processes and priorities are constantly aligned throughout the organization so that the customer actually gets what they need. So that was another really critical point I thought from last week as it relates to our deep dive. Okay, here's the next one. Dr. Crockett talked about the art of the possible. This was just, I love how he put that. I did too. And, and, and the corollary, if you recall, that I said that we often use is under what circumstances could we, right? So the challenge with human behavior and improvement is like, well, we've always done it that way. And we can't do that because fill in the blank, right? Right. And, and often it's a laundry list, right? But... If you ask the question, under what circumstances could you, that is the genesis for innovation. And so that also was powerful to come out of of last week's discussion. So let's just talk about a couple examples, Lisa, where uh, asking the question, under what circumstances could we, or what's the art of the possible, could impact organization performance. You, You see this every day. Every day, every day. And actually, Dr. Crockett is notorious inside of our own organization, pushing our development team, um, you know, a little bit to the brink of frustration sometimes because, you know, he's always wanting to push the envelope of, you know, what, what is the art, the art of, the, of the possible. And we see, again, when, when we think outside the box and we stretch our tools and solutions to fit an organization's goals and problems – that's when they really align with us as a partner. Um, RWJ Barnabas is an example um, 
15 hospital health system that Dr. Crockett mentioned last week, they actually merged, RWJ merged with Barnabas. Mm -hmm. And as part of that merger two years ago, they chose Verge to be their single platform. We were their very first initiative to kind of bring the organization together, which was a little complex because they weren't all so excited about being merged and aligned and now they're going to install a new quality safety accreditation set of tools together so again uh, a year later we were happy to announce that we were live across those 15 uh, health systems and that organization now has recently purchased all of our credentialing tools for all 15 hospitals um, plus our rounding tools and rounding was one of those kind of out of the box conversations because they had a goal um they were working with press gainey on again um, some core initiatives and dr crockett was very innovative with the use of our rounding tool showed their leadership and their finance team what they could do immediately with our tool he built it on the fly himself um our tools are great but he's also great and built it on the fly and they were they were sold immediately so again, it was kind of that out-of-the-box thinking he's, he's known for, um, pushing the envelope from a development and the customer, you know, again, super excited about being partnered with us in that. So I want to give a couple examples for this deep dive session that I think the listeners will really get a kick out of. So um, my co-host or co-facilitator for the upcoming Healthcare CEO Innovation Council, his name is, is Dr. Roger Spoolman. Um, he is the Senior Vice President for Operational Excellence and Integration for Trinity Health, and he is also a turnaround CEO within that system. Roger has a tremendous amount of experience. He's done a lot of executive coaching. I'm, I'm one of the beneficiaries of his executive coaching. And he says that he will often walk into a health system and they're fixated on a problem that they think is the root cause for everything else. Right? It could be a finance issue, it could be a compliance issue, it could be a physician relationship, whatever. And, and they can't solve the problem because they can't look at it differently. So he says to them, the first thing I want you to do is describe the person who is impacted by this. I want their name, I want a face, I want you to describe how this problem is impacting them because unless you personalize it, it's amorphous. It's it's a it's a concept, and everybody can say whatever they want about it. But wow! But when you make it personal, then you have to specify what it whether it's right. So everybody has to do that. Then he says we're going to change the clock. So a year is a month, a week is a quarter, a day is a month. Uh, sorry. Um, so a year is a month, a week is a quarter. Um, uh, a month is a day and a day is an hour okay so we're no longer going to say let's do this on an every 30 day cadence of fixing the problem because that would be monthly but now a month is a day so we're going to we're going to talk about this every day <laughs> <laughs> put a put a little a magnifying glass on everyone and, right so what ends up happening is when you change those parameters the organization's behavior as it relates to being able to solve a problem suddenly changes, right? So it's a fascinating way of being able to go after problems in organizations and essentially just restructure uh, how, how they do that. So, so my question to you before I give another story is what would happen 
in many of the health systems that you see, if they took that sort of innovation approach, first, first is put a name and a face on it, and second is change the time parameters in terms of problem solving. Wow. <laughs> what a game changer. And I had a leader, when you tell that story, I had a leader years ago, um, not in the health, well, in healthcare, but not a hospital. They actually had a very different approach. They wanted to strike all names so it was as impersonal as possible to make, an, you know, a totally objective decision, which I scratched my head, walked out of the CEO's office and said, wow, that doesn't seem right. Um, but I think that it would. I think it would radically change how healthcare is delivered today. Um, Trinity is one of our customers at Verge, and so I'm thrilled that Roger is at the helm and he's he's really being so creative. Um, it would be exponential the change that we would see across the across. All right, the health, so let me give systems. you another story of the representation of that kind of thinking. So, one of the things that Mercy Health, which is a division of Trinity Health, took on was they wanted to be able to try to address primary care efficiency because in the population health space the primary care physician is the primary point of access right well the average primary care physician only sees about 2500 patients a year and to do that they're taxed they're they're maxed out it's long days you know sometimes weekend work all that kind of stuff so typing in their emr late at night to put their medical records in that's their life so mercy health started this thing called an innovation hub um, and we'll give the listeners more details about it later. But suffice it to say, it's a way of incorporating the kinds of things I was talking about. So there are industrial designers and engineers and throughput specialists and so forth, and they created a simulated primary care clinic in this building that had about 15,000 square foot space. They did user personas of everybody that would use the clinic, the patient, the family, the medical assistant, the nurse, the mid-level, the physician. They looked at flow. They looked at space. They looked at teaming. They looked at you know, cross-training. And their objective was to be able to get to where a primary care physician could see 7,500 patients a year, wow. three times the, the norm, and go home at 5 o'clock. Wow. <laughs> While maintaining high quality and safety. Yeah. So the team went to work. Under what circumstances could you, the art of the possible, they have deployed it. They deployed it in January. It's called the Innovative Primary Care Clinic. It's in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and they're doing it. They are seeing 7,500 patients a year. The physicians are going home at 5 o'clock. They've completely redesigned the whole thing because they started out with under what circumstances could we. It's a fascinating representation of how you put innovation into transformation. And that can be asked not just once. Always. Repeatedly. Always. always. Under what circumstances be. Should we? be. Yeah. Absolutely. This has been fascinating yet again. Thank you so much for joining us. Lisa Council, who is Vice President of Verge Health. Um, we invite everyone, when you're listening, you can always listen to some of our other shows. Uh, if you want to go to Leader Dialogue slash podcast, we also are live every Friday at 1 p.m. And if you can listen live to us then. On behalf of Ben and our producers, Mike and Trey, I'm Duffy Dixon. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on Leader Dialogue on Business Radio X. 